Good morning, everybody. I'm Alvin. For those of you who are here for the first time, I serve as lead pastor of the church, and it's an honor for you to be here. I'm so glad everybody's here. Everyone's looking good. And uh, we've got some great people in the audience, too, that I really do want to acknowledge. And the Sibleys, our, our friends, pa amazing pastors from Louisiana. They preached at Nashville Life. They've loved on us. So glad y'all are here. Some of the coolest pastors. They're cool. They got that Louisiana vibe. It's just, it's, I love them, and they love God, and they love making disciples. So I honor you guys for being here. Um, yeah, a lot of good things are happening. Last week, um, a lot of exciting things went down um, in addition to uh, preaching the word of God, which I always find exciting. I announced that I am engaged to this woman right here, Jasmine San Martin. And I'm so excited to marry you. And yeah, it's going to be a great time. Uh, and uh, no, I'm seriously, she's, she really is an amazing person. And I'm glad you're here. Glad you're sitting next to me. Glad for everything. Um, let's see. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm looking for y'all getting to know her. She's awesome. Uh, praise God for marriage. <laughs> praise God for marriage. I just can't get off that topic. Um, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Um, and, okay, I'll move on. I'll move on. Uh we uh, spoke on the day of Pentecost last Sunday and preached about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and the power behind it and the gift of it. And while I believe that the word makes it very clear that this is something that's an asset for our walk with God. And if you didn't catch it, please go online and listen to it. Since I preached it, I've gotten testimonies of people in our church actually praying for this and stepping out and praying in tongues for the first time. And uh, throughout the week, I was just hearing stories, and it just encourages me that we're actually not just hearing, but we're doing the word, and we're seeing fruit produced in our lives. Uh, one woman said she felt chains breaking that she didn't even know were there. And I just love that. So, so please continue to, to seek the gifts of the Lord. And they are really meant to empower your walk. Um, but I'm going to get into the word. We have another message today. Um, repeat these words after me if you can. Oh, yeah, by the way, before I get into that, next week, Father's Day. Next week is Father's Day. Um, we've got a special service planned. I invite all guys, and please invite all men, even if they're not dads yet. If they are dads, of course, invite them. But I really think it's going to be a great word for men in general, and it's brought by, uh, it will be brought by the father of our house, my dad, the founding pastor of Nashville Life, and I'm looking forward to hearing what God has given him for us, so please be here next week so uh, we can hear God's word from our founding pastor. Um, all right, now, repeat these words after me. The word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it, and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
Um, okay. The theme for 2022, I've got the giggles thinking about marriage. I don't know why. Uh, the theme for 2022 is withstanding the wind. Withstanding the wind, and it's inspired by a passage in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. And it's inspired, yeah, it's, it's John the Baptist talking about Jesus. And this is how John describes Jesus. He says in Matthew 3.12, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is very important information for everyone to know, but especially Christians, because it's going to give meaning to some of the things that you're going through and some of the things that you're experiencing in your faith. John the Baptist says that Jesus is harvesting his church, his people, in a similar way that a harvester of wheat gathers wheat. And it involves a process called winnowing, where you allow winds to blow through the harvest to identify what is the true harvest. And the reason why this, this approach is uh, effective is because all harvests uh, at first include something called chaff. And it's in the harvest, but it's not really useful. It's really just the outer shell, and it's meant to be blown away. And the reason why winnowing wind works when you're winnowing is because chaff is light, and it's loose, and the slightest of winds or the right kind of wind can, can blow it away. On the contrary, wheat has a built-in weight to it that's able to withstand the wind. So, so hearing this information, it's, it's very valuable to us as the church because it causes us to not get anxious when wind blows through the congregation or through our community or through Nashville Life or even the Big C Church, the body of Christ. Um, we know there's purpose behind it. And it's not to destroy you, but it is to test you. And the beauty of testing is it trains us it lets us know where we're at. And this whole year, Nash for Life is dedicating this year to train the church, to train this congregation, to, to build our faith to where we're able to withstand the winds that are blowing through this harvest. And uh, we're talking about different winds each month. Uh, this month in June, we're talking about the wind of doctrine. The wind of doctrine. Webster defines doctrine as a principle or position or the body of principles and a branch of knowledge or system of belief, a statement of fundamental government policy, especially in international relations, and something that is taught. That's how Webster defines doctrine. There's a key verse for this month that talks about the wind of doctrine and I want us to review it in case you're not familiar. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. And this is what it says. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. 
Uh, this is not my favorite news to deliver, but it's important news nonetheless, and that is within the body of Christ, within the body of believers, there are winds of doctrine that are rooted in deceit. And the objective of these doctrines is to blow you away from the harvest opposed to rooting you further into the harvest. And we as the church don't need to be afraid of this, but we need to be aware of this so that we aren't deceived. Um, so last week, like I said, I talked about the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how the word is very clear on this doctrine. This doctrine was built in a way where children would be able to receive it. So it's not complicated. We have complicated it, but in itself, the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not complicated. But so we, we, we went into scripture and we saw what this was about and what this was for. We talked about the purpose of it, specifically speaking in tongues and the role that plays in a believer's life and what it's supposed to accomplish and what it's not. We learned that it's not about your salvation. This, your salvation is by believing in Jesus. This is not a gift that makes God love you more, but it is a gift that equips you for ministry. We learned last week that every person who was saved is born into a ministry, and that ministry involves snatching people out of hellfire into the light of God. And the thing about it is, is when you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you find yourself being ill-equipped, and you're going into fiery situations, literally going into the fires of hell, and you're not equipped with the fire of God. So you end up getting burnt up, and we have a lot of believers that are being burned by the fires of hell because they're not equipped with the fire of God. So we talked about how this was an, this was an equipping for ministry. It doesn't mean that your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, thank God, but it does mean you are missing some important tools and equipment for the assignment for your life. So we talked about that, and I talked about being such an advocate for this gift, I truly believe that it is a gift to bless your life and to bless your ministry. But I found this other scripture that really perfectly segues what we talked about last week into what I want to cover this week. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. And this is what it says. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
Now, this passage is written by someone who is a huge advocate for speaking in tongues. He says, I love speaking in tongues. I wish all of you guys would speak in tongues. Paul was a fan of speaking in tongues. But Paul also gives a scenario where something as great as speaking in tongues can produce nothing. And that scenario is when it's done and there's no love. It's important for us to understand that as amazing as the gift of speaking in tongues, the gift of prophesying, the ability to have faith to move mountains, Paul is saying that without love, all of these things are worthless. Now, what I want to make sure that we don't do is what a lot of believers in the past have done, and they read the scripture, and they hear him promote love, and they use it as a license to skip tongues. So they go, oh, cool, so if love is what matters, I'll just choose love then. And they'll use love to bypass prophecy, to bypass faith, and it doesn't work that way. It's almost like, let's say we brush our teeth every day, and we wash our face, and we comb our hair, and we put on clothes that are appropriate, and then we come to church, and you hear a message about how God really just cares about what's on the inside, and we take that word and stop brushing our teeth, and stop washing our face, and stop wearing what... Just because the Lord cares about what's on the inside, it doesn't mean that brushing your teeth isn't still appropriate for us to do, right? So let's not let the scripture of hearing that without love, these things don't matter to say that these things don't matter. Just because without love, these things don't matter, it does not mean that these things don't matter. That's like saying, I no longer have to have faith now because it's all about love. That's not how we're supposed to receive this word. Today we're going to talk about the doctrine of love. Since this is so key, since the absence of this has the ability to make some of the greatest assets to our faith worthless, we need to make sure that we understand what love is. Love is an interesting word in our culture and in the English language because it's used in several different circles. The church uses the word love a lot as well as non-believers. Atheists use the word love. It's very interesting. So we have to be careful because what I've seen happen and that the winds of the, the reason why we're talking about the doctrine of love is because since there's so many various definitions and understandings of love, what I've seen unfortunately is much of the church we have adopted the world's definition of love, and we, for, we have forsaken God's definition of love. Love is, uh, yes, it's, it's a word that's it's widely used, and I had to reach back to uh, like sixth grade English, and I was reminded of the word homonyms. And homonyms are words that sound alike and can even be spelled the exact same, but, but mean different things. So let's say you're learning the English language. That's why it can be sometimes difficult for people to learn the English language, because it can be the same word, but used in a totally different way. You're like, wait, I thought it meant that. So let's say we're learning the English language, and it's, not, it's new to us. And, you know, someone says, hey, here's a document, here's a contract. I want you to sign this contract. S-I-G-N. But the only definition of sign that we know is the billboard sign. 
So it's like, wait, well, how am I going to get, do I Photoshop the, do I take a picture of the billboard and put it on this contract? Go, no, no, you write your name. Sign means writing your name too. Oh, I had no idea that sign meant two things. Or let's say someone says, let's go watch TV. And you take off the watch from your wrist and you throw it on the TV. He told me to watch, to watch it. I watched it. I threw my watch at it. No, no, watch actually also means to look at. Oh, I didn't know that. Let's say we're playing a baseball game and someone goes, pick up a bat. You're like, I got to pick up bats? Bats are scary. Bats are in baseball. No, this is actually a bat too. Oh, I didn't know that. So even though it's B-A-T and that's B-A-T, so you see that the importance of knowing the difference with homonyms. I believe that our culture has put us in a position where love is a homonym. And we need to be aware of this because if all we see is love and we apply the wrong definition to it, we'll find ourselves misusing this word and it's very, it, com- it becomes very problematic because it, it distorts your view and the way that you approach faith if you're adopting a different definition of what love is. As Christians, our doctrine is determined by Scripture. The authority in every Christian's life is the Word of God. So it's very important that as believers, we take our definition of love from our authority, which is the Word of God. The reason why is because if we don't subscribe to the authority of the Word of God and get our definition from Scripture, we're going to get our definitions from other sources, which is problematic. These are the winds of doctrine that we need to be aware of when it comes to the doctrine of love. Because another word that is new to this category, I feel like love has been a confusing word for a long time, but the new one is truth. Truth has kind of added itself in the past, I think, like 10, 15 years. I've been seeing that word move over to something else. What we used to call and what God still sees as opinions and perspectives and experiences in 2022 have all been labeled truths, which is very problematic because there's over a million opinions There's over a million experiences. There's over a million perspectives. And if all these things are truths, then that means there's a million of truths according to the world's definition of truth. So then Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am the truth. And we go, wait, there is no truth. You might be a truth because the world says that there's several different truths. And we get to make our own. How cool is that? I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) The truth is Jesus. So the same way that truth has become confusing, I believe love has. What used to be what I believe the Lord sees as affections and passions and interests and desires, the world today is calling all of those things love which is problematic because some of us have desires that aren't godly. Some of us have passions that are twisted. Some of us have have affections that are perverted. So what happens is if all of these things are love 
and then we go to the Bible and read that God is love, then God has just become all of our twisted desires. God has become all of our perverted passions. It's very problematic, and we need as the church to understand what's happening. As Christians, we submit to what the Bible says that love is, which is in 1 Corinthians 13. I'll read that section again. Love suffers long, which means love has the ability to suffer for a long time. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not a show-off. Love is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. It thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, I do want to comment briefly on believes all things. We need to make sure we understand what that means. This is not saying that love believes everything it hears. So if you say, you know, the sky is purple, I don't know, or, or, and it's blue, like love doesn't go, oh, okay, it is. Or like, I'm a cow, I'm not a person. Okay, cool. Like love, love is not gullible. When it says believe all things, it means it has faith in every situation. Love is always believing for the best in every situation. So it doesn't matter how bad it is, love is always believing that things can turn around. It's not saying that love believes everything that we say. Okay, there's a difference. We have to make sure we understand what that is because it doesn't believe everything that it hears. If it's a lie, it doesn't go, oh, okay, that's truth. Love isn't stupid, <laughs> but love has faith in every situation. So I wanted to clarify that in case we were like, oh, cool, love believes every religion. Love believes everything. No, that's not how it goes. So this word tells us what love is. It tells us what love isn't. It tells us what love does. It tells us what love does not, so that we will not be deceived and confused. Now, what's funny about the world is it, it challenges the Bible all the time. It's always trying to devalidate the, the Bible and diminish its authority and its truth. They try to reduce it with things like it was just written by some guys. It's old. All these things. But it's amazing that despite all these efforts, they still love quoting it to push whatever they're trying to push. And a big one is God is love. Atheists quote this. And the reason why is because it ends up being a manipulative tactic to get God to be tagged on whatever it is they want to be tagged on, which is why we must know the scripture. If God is love, then God matches the love that's described in his word in 1 Corinthians 13, which means God suffers long. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not parade himself. God doesn't seek his own. God is not provoked. God is not rude. God thinks no evil. God does not rejoice in iniquity. God rejoices in the truth. God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things. 
If God is love, then God is all that love is according to the word of God. And all these things I could preach on, but I want to highlight a specific trait that we read in this passage, and that is love does not rejoice in iniquity. God does not rejoice in iniquity. There's a wind of doctrine that's blowing through the church, through the harvest of Jesus. And it's a doctrine that is making God's love the same as God's approval. And it's something that we need to take notice of because they're not the same. The Bible says that love rejoices in some things and love does not rejoice in some things. The lo- love celebrates some things and love doesn't celebrate some things. The definition of approve is to have or express a favorable opinion of. When you have a favorite, that means it's a favorite amongst other things, like your favorite color. Of all the colors, my favorite color is whatever. Of all of the vacation places, my favorite place is this. So you can't favor something without not favoring something else. You can't have a preference and not have a non-preference. That's what preference means. It means amongst the rest, that's my favorite. So my point is there are things that are God's favorite. There are things that he rejoices and he rallies behind, and there are things that are not his favorite. There are things that he doesn't rally behind. Even, and both qualify as love. love. For love to be love, there has to be things that you're for, and it has to be things that you're against. Otherwise, it's not love. There is nothing that you love that you don't like something that's going to jeopardize that thing that you love. You can't love people and love car wrecks. Otherwise, you don't love people. You can't love people and love terminal diseases. You can't love something unless you don't love something. I love worship songs, and I love the the sentiment that, you know, God is chasing after us, and he's pursuing us, and he delights in us, and I love all that. But at the same time, guys, I have to bring an awareness because if we're not careful, we can let that message create what I'll call Christian narcissism where we believe that since God loves us, that he's obsessed with everything about us. This is a trend. And it goes, well, since God loves me, that means he approves of all that I do and all that I say and all that I think. And this is a very narcissistic way of thinking and seeing God. And what happens is it ends up, when your vertical relationship with God is distorted, then it starts to affect your lateral relationships. And then we start becoming narcissistic towards one another. So you can't say anything about me that you don't like and still love me. 
If you love me, then you love all of me. You love every part of me. Guys, that is a trap for grade A narcissism. And it starts with God. It starts with God. We have to understand that though he loves us, guys, there's too many scriptures about transformation, about sanctification, about repentance, about changing for us to buy into a belief that the Lord, because he loves us, he doesn't want to change anything about us. There's too many scriptures, too many for us to believe that the Lord doesn't have any desire to change some aspects about our lives. God loves me. But he doesn't love that tumor that's destroying my brain. God loves you, but he doesn't love that virus that's destroying your immune system. God loves you, but he doesn't love that insomnia that you're suffering because you can't get a good sleep at night. God loves you, but he doesn't love that prejudice that's still in your heart. God loves you, but he doesn't love that addiction that's ruining all your relationships. God loves you, but he doesn't love that lust that's making you numb to all of your, your relationships. We have to understand that it's because his love that he doesn't approve of everything that's in our lives. We can't, stop, we can't start seeing disapproval as rejection. Guys, we are our generation. I'm, I love us, but I get nervous. We have such a low capacity for disapproval, for confrontation, for correction. And we're missing the very love of the Father that we're praying for. God is saying, I don't approve because I love you. Imagine being a parent and telling your kid not to touch the stove. And your kid goes, but you love me. It's like, yeah, that's why I'm telling you not to burn yourself. Like, that's how we are. The Lord addresses the part of our life, and we go, that can't be true because God loves me. Yes, God loves you, but God doesn't approve of that. We have to understand how evil the world is and what it's trying to do. The hypocrisy of the world is so fierce. It's so strong. And this is the deception of the world. They want us to believe that we, as Christians, are in a rigid, small-minded, you know, restricted place of all of these laws and all of these do's and all of these don'ts. And if you really want to be liberated, you need to break free from the restrictions of the church and the restrictions of Christianity and come over to us where there's a whole new set of laws and do's and don'ts. And you can't say that and you can't say that and you can't go there and you can't support that. So what we do is we leave one set of laws just to go into a whole nother set of ones. I still don't understand how the church has gotten the MO of being judgmental. Over here, 
You do it once, and you're that for the rest of your life. You're a that, you're a that, and you're a that, and that's where cancel culture comes from. There's no redemption in the laws of the world. Once of this, always of that. But yet we are labeled the ones who were judgmental, where last time I checked, our whole faith is built on mercy and redemption. You're not what you did 10 years ago. You're not what you did yesterday. In Christianity, God forbid, but we, you could kill 10 people and you repent and we're like, hallelujah, you're saved. You're still going to jail, but you're saved. And that's the truth. You can commit the most heinous crime and the blood of Jesus covers it all. And you will spend any eternity with Jesus in heaven. Do you see how twisted and how much the devil has manipulated and deceived us to where the most merciful concepts and faith and philosophy has been labeled the restriction and the judgment? And then you come over here and it's way, I mean, no one throws stones more fiercely than people who don't believe. Have you seen the passion? The same people who are claiming acceptance for all, do you understand how passionately they condemn those who don't think like them? Have you seen someone who claims acceptance and say something they don't like? You're of this, you're of this, you're of this, burn in hell. The same hell that you don't believe in, you're you're calling me to burn in? Guys. The church must open our eyes. We cannot be played any longer. Don't believe the narrative. Non-believers and the people who are against the church, they have everybody, no matter who you are, Christian, non-Christian, all of us have a moral code All of us have a line in the sand. All of us have a line that is what we think is right and a line of what we think is wrong. All of us. Even the most immoral people have, that's too far. (laughs) Like everybody's got a line. My point is, guys, wherever you go, whatever thought pattern or lifestyle you choose, There is a right and wrong of that particular subculture. So there is no option where there isn't something that's considered right and wrong. Let's at least pick the one that is supported in the word of God. Something that is founded by God who is love. God who is holy. The only difference between all the different thoughts and all the different moral codes is, strangely enough, love. But not the love that the world is talking about. The love in 1 Corinthians 13. Some of us really need to wise up and realize that not every well that has love tagged on front of it is a a well that you want to drink from. We as people, the Bible says to test all things. If someone says they love you, just say, yo, hold that thought. 
What, is, what does the Bible say? Okay, love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, love does, okay. Cool. So if the love matches that, then that's the love that you've been called to live by. Otherwise, it could very well be a counterfeit. We've got to wise up, which is so important that we have faith. Faith gives us the ability to see past what we see. Without faith, we're just like anybody else. And all it has to do is look pretty and smell pretty, and we're like, okay. (laughs) We have to develop our faith. Because what happens is without faith, You'll walk into something that's pretty that's actually meant to kill you, and you'll destroy, you'll reject something that's not pretty that's supposed to save you. People of faith is essential. We must build our faith so that we can see the unseen and be saved from being limited by the surface presentation of a thing. We've got to become more students of the word, guys. Because the word is how we're going to be able to rightly discern what is what. We are in a day and time where you can't just run with anything that says that it's love. And that includes faith. That includes people. Just because he said it or she said it doesn't mean that it's the love that you are living by, which is in 1 Corinthians 13. Test it. Give it some time because the Bible says that love suffers long. So if you're not sure if something is love, just wait a little bit. Give it two weeks. (laughs) Love suffers a long time. It has the ability to endure. If you're with something or something that the first time something goes wrong, they're out, that was a dead giveaway. Praise God. You showed me that wasn't love at all. Are you guys good? There is counterfeits out there, essentially. And if we're not careful, the news that there are counterfeits can start to make us paranoid and anxious, and scared, and suspicious, and skeptical, that is not what I'm promoting. I don't believe that any of those things really come from the Lord, because they're rooted in fear, and I don't believe that fear is from God. I believe that God cast out fear. This is how I believe that all of us can hear this word, and still walk in here without, walk out of here fear-free. And the answer is simple. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Everyone say profitable. Profitable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. Everyone say training. In righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Everyone say complete. Complete. Equipped. Say equipped. For every good work. Every good work. The reason why we don't have to fear is because we have the Bible. And according to the Bible, according to the word of God, it is all we need 
to keep ourselves from deception. The Bible, make, the scripture is enough to make us complete. We don't have to ever worry about being tricked. We don't have to ever worry about falling into this trap. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that was there. Because the Bible lets us know what's coming. It lets us know how to test something, what to look for. The Bible says this is what love does, but this is what love doesn't. So if you see that, that's probably not love. If you see that, it lets us know how to make our judgments. And the cool thing about it is, let's say we do get deceived. Let's say we do make a wrong path. Scripture is strong enough to get us back on the right path. Because who, I mean, let's be honest. We don't always make the right turn. Some of us, we go rogue and we don't consult with God and we just start making moves. But the cool, that's why it's so important to read the Bible every day. Because if you read the word every day, you won't veer off far. The bot, daily word will make it to where if you go off, at least you just went off this much, you can be back on. You go two, three weeks, four months without the Bible, you could be miles and miles away from God's path for your life. That's why it's important to stay in it because if you waver, it won't be by much. Opposed to, oh, man, the word can still get you back, but it's going to take a whole lot longer. <laughs> Another thing about scripture, it says God's word is a lamp unto your feet and a light to your path. It'll allow you to put the light up to something. You might, you know, it could be someone being like, hey, I'm, hey, it's me, Jesus. You're like, it is? You're like, yes, uh, I want you to do this. You're like, you sound different. You're like, I've got a cold. Um, um. But the cool thing about it is, because that's going to happen. You're going to hear, hey, it's Jesus. Um, yo, this is the Holy Spirit. I need you to go and post this. I need you to go and pursue that person. Yes, I know they're married, but it's, it's my will. I need you to do this. But your Bible says, the Bible is written by men. I'm Jesus. You sound so different than you did before. People change. <laughs> but the beauty of the word of God is it's a lamp. So you can put the lamp up and go, oh, you're not him. You're an imposter. That's what the Bible does. It keeps our senses sharp. So that we are not blown away by everything that dangles love in front of your face. By every doctrine that says, oh, you know what? Well, God is love. Same way, hey, this is, this is love talking. I want you to start doing that. It's like, what? Yeah, this is, I'm, it's love. Oh, okay, well, if it's love, God is love. And next thing you know, you're in a cesspool. This is real. It's something we must understand, and that's why I, as strongly as I'm, I'm preaching this, I can't, I can't stress enough, you have no reason to fear. You do have a reason to stay in your word, but you don't have a reason to fear. 
You do have a reason to be vigilant and make sure you stay in the spirit, but you don't have a reason to fear. Because the shepherd's a good shepherd. And if you can just keep your eyes on him and keep your hand in his, he knows how to lead us. He won't, the Bible says he won't lead us into darkness. He won't lead us into temptation. He won't, he won't. He, 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 he's a good shepherd. He'll protect us from it. And if there's a trial or tribulation that he's leading you through, it's only to make you more fruitful. Like you really can't lose when you follow Jesus. So that's what I wanted to share. I really want us to re-examine our doctrine of love. Because the world, it's, it's, it's that homonym I told you about. It's just because it sounds the same, just because it's spelled the same, doesn't mean that it has the same meaning. We have reached a day where love is a homonym. Which is why the word says it's going to become difficult in the last days. Because not everything that's tagged love is going to be. Not everything that's tagged Jesus is going to be. The word says it's going to be difficult. Now, it's not impossible, but it's difficult. This word was prophesied. It said we're going to reach a day where it's going to be a little bit tricky. And we are at that day. But fear not, because the Lord will deliver us out of every situation of, of, of confusion or difficulty. The beautiful thing about God's love, it's, it's all-encompassing. It, it, it's considering the whole spectrum, the whole thing. And another word for agape, I was seeing agape, you know, is unconditional love. But I was looking, and I saw in the Greek, it's actually also connected to the, the father's love, the love of a father, the love for humanity. And I'm like, man, God's love, the reason why it's so different is because his love is considering everybody. His love is considering a bigger picture than what we're thinking when we're pursuing our lives. A big phrase you hear a lot of times is, well, I figured, you know, if, if he's not hurting anybody or if I'm not hurting anybody, what's wrong with it? But what we don't understand is from God's perspective, you are a body. So if you're hurting yourself, you're hurting somebody. When we use that phrase, we always mean if I'm not hurting another person. But you're a person. So if you're making decisions that's hurting you, you're hurting somebody. There are people who are users of drugs and go, well, I'm not just, you know, I'm not, at least I'm not hurting anybody. Well, you're hurting yourself. So God feels the same when you're hurting yourself than he would he feel if you were slapping somebody across the face. You hurting yourself makes God feel the same as if you were punching somebody's lights out because you're punching your own lights out and God cares. The father was looking on the earth and he saw his children deceived and they had become people of, of, of the enemy. The Bible says that we were sons of the devil taking on his traits, taking on his definitions of words, taking on his logic. And he goes, man, these people, they're killing themselves. He said, this, this has to stop. I God says he only made hell for Satan and his angels. But guys, the Bible, this is real sad, but the Bible says 
that hell has had to enlarge itself. Hell has had to go on renovation after renovation because people that were never meant to live in it are choosing it. And we were saves of sin. And he said, I've got to make a change. I've got it because I love everybody. And everybody is going down a path that I never intended for them to go after. Sin has completely distorted and, and messed up everything. I got, I got to pay. I got to do what it takes. So he sent his son. He sent his son for his son to shed his blood and for the blood to cover all of our sins and to break the power of sin, to give us the ability to pull away from the, the kingdom of darkness and to, to leave our father of the devil and, and, be, and, and become sons of God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of his love. His love goes beyond affection. His love goes beyond interest. He's not just interested in us. He loves us. He's endured years and years of our sin so that we might come back and repent. It's the kindness of God that makes us want to repent. It doesn't mean that he's enjoying it. Have you ever had to been kind in a situation that you don't like? God doesn't like our sin. He doesn't like the way a lot of us are living, but he's kind through it. Not so that he can enable us, but so that our kind, his kindness can convict us to go, why am I hurting someone who's so nice to me? Why am I forsaking someone who's invested so much into me? And the idea is that your revelation of his kindness makes you want to turn to him and turn away from the way you were living. And my prayer is that you guys hear the Lord's kindness today. He does not approve of all that you're doing. He does not find or favorable towards a lot of the decisions you're making. But he loves you. He loves you so much that he has suffered all the way to this day so that you would finally go, man, I don't want to keep on antagonizing this, this, this God. I don't want to keep making decisions that breaks his heart. My prayer is that that kindness has reached your heart today. And yes, the Lord wants to correct some things. Yes, he wants to make some crooked places straight. Yes, he wants to purify some contaminated areas of your life. But he loves you. He loves you. Which is why he's committed to walk you through the transformation. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. We thank you for reminding us what love is. God, I pray, Lord, that the doctrine of love that we all have would be rooted in Scripture. God, I pray, Lord, that we would look to you. We would look to your word when learning what love is. God, I pray, God, that as we see areas where what we think and what we feel when those things conflict with what's in your scripture, I pray, Lord, that we would be humble enough to part ways with our understanding and even our preference and align ourselves with the word. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would cover this room and these people with your peace. Lord, with your with your love, God, I pray that your peace would guard their hearts and minds from any anxiety, from any 
uh, paranoia, Lord, of any fear. In the name of Jesus, I cast out fear. I cast out anxiety. I cast out paranoia. God, and I pray, Lord, that we would simply just turn to you. Lord, I pray that we would turn to your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path so that we won't be easily deceived. Your word trains our ears to your voice so we won't follow a counterfeit. Lord, your love corrects us and and reproves us and, and makes us complete and equipped for every good work that you have for us to do. God, I thank you for the love of God. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that as we get to know your love, we will not be deceived by anything else. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask us all to stand. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And this prayer is going to allow the love of God to be planted in our hearts. And not just the world's love, not just the stuff that we hear in the songs or on TV, but love from God. And the way this love gets into your heart is by choosing his son, Jesus. The Father, Son, Jesus. When we receive Jesus, we receive God. And when we receive Jesus, the love of God begins to flood our lives. So I'm going to give you that opportunity today, and I would love for everyone to pray this with me. Because if you believe it in your heart, like in the depths of your heart, the most vulnerable part of your heart, if you believe it from that place, and if you confess with your mouth, transformation will start. And it's an incredible journey. So repeat these words after me. Say, say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, I believe in sealing every request, every prayer with thanksgiving and some kind of praise. So if you can clap or shout or make some sound to show God that you are thankful for his love, you are thankful for his son, you are thankful for the cross, you are thankful of being made new. Praise God. Praise God. So if you said yes to the Lord, congratulations. I would love for you to send a text to us so we can know. You can text BELONG to 77411. 
And what it does is it lets us know that you said yes to Jesus. And we'll just send some brief information to help support your journey and your faith. You can also come to the front. We have a team of prayer warriors that will be glad to pray a prayer of blessing over your life before you leave. If you have a prayer request for any need, you can come down here. We'll be happy to pray for you on your way out. Uh, next step starts right after we dismiss, so you can go to the third floor. If you want to hear more about the church, get more involved, we would love for you to come up. Uh, we won't keep you long, but it's a, it's a great time just to hear more about who we are and what we're doing here in Nashville Life. And then lastly, if you would like to give to Nashville Life or give to the Lord through Nashville Life, I should say, uh, you can text Nashville Life and give online. Or our finance team is in the back if you want to give a physical offering. And we thank you in advance. God is good, and we thank you. We love you. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you again for the word. Thank you so much. I pray, Lord, that it, it, it really gets into our heart so it can produce fruit in our lives, so it can change the way that we process, the way that we think, the way that we make decisions. God, and I pray, Lord, that this fruit would not just be a blessing in our lives, but be a blessing for so many others who we come across. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have a great rest of your day. Love you.